God, thank you for being our cornerstone and our hope. Thank you for being our future. Thank you for forgiving us for our past. God, you are an amazing God. And this morning I pray that we would honor you in everything we do and everything we say. And will you please just walk with us this morning as we understand more of why you had to come, God. And so let this be a glorifying time to you. Let lives be changed. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's obviously Christmas. Everywhere I go, I hear Christmas music. I'm thinking to myself, isn't it still just a little bit early? But apparently not, because you all like it, right? You love that Christmas music. Yes, see? Some of you listen to it all year, all year round, and you don't tell anybody because it's just weird. But the one thing I really like about the music this time of year is somehow our culture honors Christ. And you hear these songs, like a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And you think, wow, those words are so true. And how in a hostile culture... We're honoring Jesus Christ as King. And in this series we're doing about Worship the King, we're talking about Jesus and how He is so much more than just a baby that was born in Bethlehem. He's the King. But what's He doing on earth? How did He end up in an outpost called Bethlehem? Well, the answer to those questions, I hope, will help you to fall more deeply in love with Christ. Because the answer to that question is he had to. Because we were lost in sin. And so this morning I want you to connect Christ to salvation. I want you to connect Christ to a massive mission to come and save us from our sin. This morning I want you to know that your life can be changed. Just for the asking because of this remarkable mission that Jesus is still on. And in reality, the incarnation, Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem is an answer to our rebellion. So I want to take you there this morning and learn more about that because I think it's pretty exciting. So if you would, I want you to open up to Romans 5. And we're going to start there this morning. Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Page 942, if you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you. And again, you can also use the Ridgewood app. You just push on media, and it'll take you to the proper prompts to get you to the sermon notes. We're also offering daily devotionals that you can sign up for, if you'd like, by visiting there through the Advent season. It's a way for you to track what we're talking about, and I hope they will be an encouragement to you. So somebody said to me, Romans 5 at Advent? And I said, absolutely, because this draws the reason for the Advent season. And on these pages, in this really deep theological treatise written by the Apostle Paul, we see the effect of and God's answer to sin. We rebelled against God. The incarnation is a chance for us to be saved from the consequences of that rebellion. And so how can we not love him back? How can we not give our lives completely to him because he has given everything for us? 
And maybe today you've never even thought about coming into relationship with Christ. You've tuned it out. You've said, this is for somebody else. I'm being kind of towed along to church. Maybe today is the day to open your heart. Some of you, maybe your, your relationship with God has grown cold and distant. Or you're frustrated, angry, or bitter. Well, maybe today is a day to investigate, to understand, and see how God in His love and in His grace has answered our rebellion with this incredible event that happened in Bethlehem. And so we begin in verses 12 through 14 of Romans 5, because this is where the problem is identified and laid out for us. And then we'll take it from there. So let's read verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now that's a little bit confusing, so we'll unpack it. But you see here immediately that sin is the problem. Sin has come into the world. And so God needed to answer in order for us To be saved from the consequences of it. And so the first thing I just want to start with this morning is quite simple, but it's profound. And that is that the incarnation of Christ is the answer to sin. And so when we're reading Christmas cards, when we're looking at nativity scenes, when we're seeing these images of Christ, we understand and we can be grateful for the fact that that happened because we have rebelled against the one who made us. And that rebellion carries with it massive consequences. Now, when we talk about the incarnation, defining the incarnation is simply a divine person is united with a human nature. It's not that you're kind of sprinkling divinity around a human being or you're kind of taking part of human elements and sprinkling it on someone who's divine. You're actually... Combining the two into one person. So Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. Jesus is the God-man. And so he came to be incarnated because we were lost in our sin. And we needed a new representative. (laughs) Because our first representative, Paul's going to tell us, failed miserably. And we see this now in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. That man is our father, Adam, the first literal man. And because of his sin, sin has spread to all of his descendants. And so what Paul will do here is present A beautiful, contrastive parallelism between Christ and the results of his life, which are justification and reconciliation. And Adam, 
the results of his life, which are sin and death. And so we're going to be thankful before we're done today for what God has done for us because of this problem. And here we, here's where we start with Adam. Adam's sinful rebellion brought death. And so the consequences couldn't be any more severe. Now, if you look at the text here, we're going to talk about sin. And sin can simply be defined as rebellion against God. And Paul began to address this issue by using the term, therefore. In other words, he's saying, because of this. And now he starts his comparison between the two. Paul explains here that sin, and in the Greek, it's the sin, the sin of Adam, entered the world through one man. And God's penalty for sin was both spiritual and physical death. And sadly, you and I are the descendants of Adam. So we now carry both physical and spiritual death. And Paul's language is very to the point here. It's the death spread to all men, literally passed or went through or spread through. So you and I have been infected with sin. Now, many of you know of a friend, relative, or yourself that have this flu thing that's going around. And you're infected by it. Or they're infected by it. They don't want to be. You don't wake up in the morning and say, could I please be infected by the flu bug today? But it happens. It has spread. And that's exactly what's happening with sin because of Adam. It's like smoke in a building. All of the smoke finds places to go. It permeates everything. And so we cannot escape this. We are sinners. The sad part about this, this isn't how God meant it to be. God created everything and it was good, beautiful, and wonderful. But because of our rebellion, because of our choices, because we thought that we could do better than God, then we have come under condemnation. So there's a real problem that needs to be dealt with. And here's the truth of the matter is sinful rebellion is part of our DNA. This this is called inherited sin. This is a DNA of sin that we inherited from Adam. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't buy that because, number one, I don't believe in a literal Adam. And number two, I don't think I should be responsible for his mistakes or his sin. Well, let me just say that if you don't believe in a literal Adam, just throw out the Old Testament. Because it will have no value to you. And and don't buy into liberal theology that tells us that we can have no literal garden, no literal Eve, no literal Adam, and be able to build a case for Christ because it can't happen. But when it comes to the sin issue, you indeed are still responsible because you have sinned. You are making mistakes, and I think you can identify some of those. Now, if we look at verse 13, we see this idea of sin being in our DNA. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given... 
But sin is not counted where there is no law. Here's what that means. What Paul is saying is that sin has always been in the world, even before the law was given to Israel. People were still sinning, even though it wasn't necessarily identified as sin. That rebellion was still taking place. And then in 14, Paul affirms that those who lived before the law were sinning, though not like Adam who broke a commandment, but rebellion nonetheless. In 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So the difference is this. Adam broke a specific commandment. That's what Paul's saying. But sin, nonetheless, was still happening, and it was rebellion. And so Adam, thankfully, is just a prefiguring of someone to come who would be greater and better, but still our representative. And so the incarnation of Christ which we celebrate this month, is an answer to that darkness. It's an answer to that hopelessness of this message. And Paul has to lay this out for us, or we can't understand salvation, and we can't understand and live with gratitude for what God has done for us. Sadly, the worldview of many people is that human beings are basically good. You hear this all the time. I believe in the human race. Human beings are good. Somehow they get corrupted at childhood. Now, it's true that we are made in the image of God. And so we still carry, carry His image, even though it's been scarred in the fall. We still have it. We still, we still have attributes that God has given us that are like Himself. And it's beautiful. And we are loved by God. And we are the pinnacle of God's creation. That's all true. But what you can't get away from biblically, if you really believe what the Bible has to say to us, is that we are in a sad spiritual state. Because we are infected with sin. And so, though we want to believe that we're good... And we want to believe that we're somehow better than others. And we want to believe that, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person as we gossip. Not that I ever gossip, of course. I only gossip in the office where nobody can hear. It's better that way. Um, It's still really sinful. And we do that, don't we? But here's the problem. Jesus came because you and I are deeply deeply infected with sin and the consequences is physical death and spiritual death for all of eternity. That is what the incarnation addresses. That's what Christmas is all about. I love what what theologian D.A. Carson writes about this. If, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, 
he would have sent us a politician. And thank you, Lord, for not sending another one of those. That's not D.A. Carson. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us a savior. Yeah, amen is right. How can we not love him? How can we turn our backs on him? How can we treat him as if he's just this person that we have to kind of deal with rather than love and have a relationship with? Because we've always been sinning. It's part of us and it brings death to us. But Paul then shifts into good news because that bad news sets up the good news. The sadness sets up the joy. And the joy is Jesus Christ. And so at Christmas we see that the incarnation was necessary, but it was gracious because God didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. Why did he do it? Out of love and grace. If you look at verse 15, Paul begins this stunning comparison. Between two men, one is the death giver, Adam, and one is the life giver, Jesus Christ, 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Death and life, condemnation and grace. So here's the contrast. Adam, sinful rebellion and death. The gift of Christ brings grace in abundance. And Paul's not shy about his language here. Paul's enthralled with this entire concept and idea. Paul is a man who had experienced the grace of God. Paul is a man who spent most of his adult life killing Christians, putting them in prison. And yet here he is, this great evangelist. He knew grace. He knew his sin. And so in 15, Paul is dealing with abundance. And so the apostle made it clear that the contrastive nature of the parallelism is this. And then look at the language. But the free gift is charisma, the grace gift, is not like the trespass, Adam's literally in the Greek false step. They are different. And what is different in Paul's mind is the degree. It's grace that abounds to many. The trespass caused all human beings to die, except Enoch and Elijah to this point. But grace abounds to everyone. And so God is offering his grace to you. And he's saying to you, listen, I know that life can be hard 
And I know that you've got stuff in your past that you just haven't told anyone or people that you have told. You're just hoping that they're not going to tell anyone else. And you walk in shame and condemnation. What Jesus is offering you is a new and transformed and free life. He's offering you eternal life for the asking. And that is good news. He's not necessarily offering you a, you know, a a perfect life or a trouble-free life, a prosperous life, or even a long life. But what he's offering you is eminently more important, more profound, and that is eternal life. This is the incarnation. This is a way in the manger. This is the nativity scene outside in people's yard. It is a, an answer to death, an answer to our gloomy spiritual state. And God did it out of his grace, eternal life, hope. And so now if you look at 16 through 21, this incredible contrast continues. The disobedience Of Adam brought death, obedience of Jesus brought eternal life. And so Paul contrasts two men here. Adam is death. Jesus means life. Look at 16. You'll see all of these contrasts right through this portion of the narrative. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, the law came. We saw our sin. It was ugly. It increased. But grace abounded. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Could there be any better news than that? Thank you, Lord. The contrasts here are absolutely amazing. Condemnation through Adam. Justification through Christ or being made legally and forensically right before God. Clean. Death through Adam. Life through Christ. Made sinners through Adam. Made righteous, seen as as morally right through Christ. Increasing sin through Adam. Abounding grace through Christ. And the summary in 21 is beautiful. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through 
righteousness, eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord is the author. Here is God's grace personified by this incredible evangelist. And the entire theological precept and truth of the Bible regarding the salvation of men and women hinges on this argument in Romans 5. That's how important this is. Paul is simply saying that there's one man, a second Adam, a second representative that has come to give us life after the first Adam brought us rebellion. So the second Adam will save us from our sin. And this is what the truth of the incarnation is after we understand now all of the deep consequences is the incarnation can save you from sin. But the question is, will you let it? Will you let it? Nothing could be more clearly documented in Scripture than the truth that the incarnation was about saving men and women from sin. Look at these passages. We begin in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then we move on to Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's you and me. But we must receive this truth in order for it to be effectual in our lives. If it just hangs out there, if we just have an intellectual understanding of it, it doesn't save you. The Bible's very clear on that. The Bible tells us that even our enemy, Satan, he knows all of this. He believes all of this. So it's not enough to save you. It needs to be embraced. It needs to be personalized. If Paul is right in 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, then we have a lot of thinking to do. Romans 6.23 lays out our option for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. So there is an answer, but you have to believe it. You have to accept it. You have to embrace it. So eternal life through Christ is a free gift. The free gift of grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, many of us here this morning, we can tell stories of how Jesus has affected our lives. We can tell stories of past lives that sit there like this kind of scar But there has been redemption that has come through Jesus. Many of us can tell stories of of times in our life when we thought we weren't going to survive, but Jesus somehow came 
not only led us through the darkness, but now is breathing new life into us. And for me, I have received redemption. Before Christ, my life was gloomy and ugly. And Jesus came and he said, I can shine a light in that and I can save you. And not only that, I can continue to transform you if you let me. And I can speak words of life and healing into you if you let me. And so I am a product of redemption. I am learning every day what it means to come away from condemnation and toward the gift of grace that Jesus is offering me. And so I'm offering you that same gift this morning. And that's what Romans 5 is all about. You see, Romans 5 was written by a man who was a product of the grace of God, who was enamored with God, but understood the deep theological truth that is presented here. Jesus is now our high priest. He's our mediator. Jesus Christ will one day come again. He will take us to himself. Those who believe will have eternal life. Those who refuse will be lost in the darkness of the consequences and penalty of their sin. So I'm begging you to listen to this this morning. Because I want you to connect to Jesus. I want you to connect to him in ways that you've never connected with him before. And I don't want you to let this Sunday go by if he's speaking to you right now. Because the moment you walk out of here, you're going to be back right in your routine, right in all the busyness, right in all of the distractions. This is your time right now that God has given you and blessed you with. Away from all of that to really think about this truth. What Jesus is offering you is hope. And so if you've never, ever received this hope and eternal life, you simply believe. You simply come to the understanding that this this king came to earth and walked the road of suffering and died on a cross to pay the penalty for this ugliness that we've been talking about. You believe that. And you just say, you know, I get that. I'm sorry. And will you please be the head of my life? Will you please? I'm going to give you my life and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You will no longer be under the penalty or the bondage of sin. So the bondage is that bitterness and darkness in your soul and the lack of relationship and the purposelessness and all of that. You're free from that, but even more importantly, the penalty is eternal condemnation and hell away from God because sin is so offensive to God, hell was the only answer. Been a Christian for a while? Then maybe this is time. Maybe this is time now to say, I've got some things I need to give up. I've got some areas that I need God to breathe hope into. I have unbelief. I have fear. I do have bitterness. I do have frustration. This is a time to allow God to breathe life into you. That's what he's offering. That's Romans 5. Our first representative wrought death. Our second representative brings eternal life. It's a beautiful story. So why don't you just close your eyes for a couple minutes and let's just think this through for a moment. 
And let's think about what God might be saying to us this morning. And so for those of you that are hearing this for the first time, or maybe you've heard it a hundred times, and the first time this has made sense to you, or you really want to move toward Christ for the first time, I'm going to give you a moment to pray. I'm going to give you a moment just to say, I believe what the pastor is saying. I want to be your child. That's all it takes. So just pause for a moment. Let's all pray for those that might not know Christ yet this morning. Now for those that um, that are believers and are walking with Jesus but are so burdened this morning, downcast, legitimately sad, grieving at a time of year when we miss our loved ones so much, holding on, keeping score of wrongs, the bitterness of having to carry that around, Arrogance. Somehow we're better than others. Lack of faith. I'm going to give you a moment now just to pray and give whatever you know is in your heart because I certainly know what's in mine. I'm going to give you a moment to give that to God. So while your heads are bowed, I am going to ask for a response. If there is someone here that prayed that prayer for the first time to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will you please, with all eyes closed, raise your hand, and I will pray for you in a moment. And then for those of you that have prayed a prayer of submission of some kind and have given something to God this morning, will you please raise your hand where you are? Thank you for that honesty. Let me pray for you this morning. Dear God, what a beautiful blessing it is. The way you set this redemptive story up, two men, one death, one life, so we could clearly see who we are and what we are destined for, and so we can give you the glory for new life. And so, God, for each person that has raised their hands this morning, will you please do a work? in their lives? Will you please change whatever they've asked you to change? Will you please adopt them if they've asked to be adopted by you today? And God, now we sing knowing that we need you because we understand the depths of our own depravity. And so we'll sing with a cheerful heart because we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.